We are back and with momentum, uh, but I think you have more of the momentum. This man is chugging a protein shake right now. I walked in, he's finishing his last set of a workout. You got the pump going, you, you're, you're feeling jacked. I am jealous of, uh, of the vibe you have going right now. How are you, man? <laughs> I'm good, bro. Um, just try to get a quick little pump in, man, before you, uh, before you came over, trying to knock this thing out. I, you know, I, I just try to, the, the gym keeps me sane, bro. I, I need it. And today I actually bench pressed. I haven't bench pressed in probably a month or more. So I was surprised I was able to uh, do 225 10 times. No, you were repping set. it out. When on that last set, looked like it was uh, not too bad either. Yeah, man. And, and, I mean, and then by the way, for anybody who I think who I only knows, did that because you were there. Or, I probably uh -huh. would have struggled yeah, a little bit yeah. more if you weren't uh, there. For anybody who knows, too, anybody who knows a thing or two about you know bench press and lifting, this man's got a pretty narrow grip, too. He's showing off. He's showing off. <laughs> but that's right. That's my normal He's grip. He's getting that there. tricep working there with it. I do. I do. My triceps are really strong, so that's a natural grip position for me. No, I'm just jealous because like you, you are still in good shape, <laughs> and I did some light kettlebell work yesterday, and my hamstrings are screaming at me. So, uh, <laughs> no, it's... Uh, hamstrings are the worst when they're sore. Oh, yeah. Because they don't ever stop crying. No, and you, you just do something like try to take a step <laughs> up the stairs, and it reminds you that it's kind of stinging. Yeah, no, it's not good. So, yeah, I, but you know what? The cool thing about that, too, is we were talking about anxiety last time mm -hmm. and how everybody's dealing with a lot of, you know, bullshit right now. Yes. That's that's the way, the, the most surefire way. I mean, there not everything can be solved with this, but most things can be solved with getting up and moving. Yes. And I forget that sometimes. Yeah, and people do that sometimes. Like, But especially... Yeah, you could just forget that you can be feeling like crap, depressed, angry. Get up and move. Yes. You know, there's the national endorphins that come with working out, running, lifting weights, playing ball, anything. Just move. We were talking uh, to some friends at dinner the other night, and um, the wife of uh, a good friend of Heather's, uh, her name's Joya, she was saying how she gets in these lulls sometimes when she's working out and she's in her good groove and doing like the workout part of her day or the action part of her day is what keeps her going. That keeps her body elevated and in a good mood. And when she's not worked out for two weeks or a week and a half, three weeks, it starts to really dawn on her and it like gets heavy on her. Now she doesn't want to do anything. She's just not in a good mood. And it's amazing to see, for me, especially when I'm sick or if I got a cold or if I'm not feeling a certain type of way, if I'm feeling droggy, if I just go get a good sweat in, Either I'll go and do my um, the row machine uh, for 30 minutes, just sweating all over yep. it, and then or I go get a run, or if I get a get in the gym and get a good workout in. Next, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go. The blood's flowing. I'm feeling a little bit better about myself. All right, babe, let's go. What do we got going? So uh, it helps me kind of keep going, and also just this is what I've been doing for the last whatever many. Years I was gonna say it's, it's ingrained so, in you. <laughs> yeah. Like at this point, like I, I, you know, I like working out. I like doing that stuff. But you, it's your life. That was your life every single day. Your body was your business, and you had to treat it that way. Correct. And now that it's you know it's still kind of my business because I don't want to be on TV looking like right. You know, uh, you know, cable version of Roman Harper. There you go. Versus like direct TV version. Right. So I gotta at least look like. I didn't eat myself uh, on TV, so <laughs> you want to still have the same trim, slim look, and I, I actually enjoy when people think that I can still actually go out there and play, even though I have no business being on a football Everybody field. Everybody likes having the ego stroked a little that's bit. That's it. That's it. If people are like, man, you still like you can play, I'm like, yes, that's Thank good. I, I like looking like that, but there's no way in hell I'd ever go back out there again. Oh, no way. You just got it's it's kind of like the uh, what do they call it? There's, people will say I'm on that LGN workout plan, the LGN you know lifestyle. What look good naked? It's all I care. Oh, I don't need sure. to, I don't, I don't need to, to squat 700 pounds. I just got to look like maybe I could. No doubt. I mean, I just want to be able to look good when I take my shirt off. 
That is all I care about. That literally all I <laughs> care about. That's what most God. dudes care about. <laughs> That's all That's I care what about. most dudes and, care about. And the worst thing is that my wife doesn't give a damn. She doesn't look at me at all. Oh, no, my wife's the same way. <laughs> like, I, I'm 35 now, and like I'm, I'm making a concerted effort to try to at least look like I looked something approaching like I did when I was right, 25. Right, right, And like I get really pissed sometimes. I'm like, man... This used to be a lot easier. You know, I'll look at my wife and I'm like, yeah, I got to gut. I got to go for a run. She's like, I think you look great. And I'm like, what the hell are you looking at? Like, I, but it's weird. You know, everybody has like this body dysmorphia thing in 2020 where nobody, everybody, well, most, not everybody, but a lot of people think they're ugly as hell. And, you know, they're just harder on themselves. And I guess they need I've to been amazed at how many people say how much weight they have gained around the midsection oh, since quarantine. Since COVID? Yeah. Like, it's a real deal. So many people. Dude, I've told and you it, that. And I don't even know. If they normally would work out as much or less because of COVID, or it's just like, well, I'm not going, to, I'm not going anywhere. I don't have much to do, so I put on like four or five pounds, and it's all around my midsection. Oh yeah, no, I did it too. I mean, I told you. That's- I, one of my one of my my coworkers just yesterday was like, yeah, I got my suit fitted, and he's like, I just told her, well, told a suit lady that I was doing it for. I'm like, well, I put on about four or five pounds. <laughs> I love how people put it. They break it down. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like they, they ignore the other 18 everywhere yeah. else. It's like the four or five right here in my midsection. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty good everywhere and saying, right. I got about four or five extra in my yeah, midsection. You just give, help me out. Yeah, that. give me like an extra inch, yeah. inch and a half, maybe a quarter. See, I won't even do it now because I'm te- I was tempted because I've been doing some more TV lately. Right. Before that, it's probably why I wouldn't. I was like, damn, I put like a COVID gut on. He said, but I'm doing more TV lately. And so I, <laughs> I need to go back and get a, a few extra things tailored. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going back over there and getting fat tailored stuff. I'm going to wait till I drop this weight and then I'll get my stuff right. Because at that point, then you, you have the pressure of not outgrowing. Yeah. You know, and I got a couple things already like you know, that I'm, I'm good with. But no, I was telling you last week, like I did the whole stress eating thing and didn't even realize I was doing it half the time. Yeah. And you look up and it's like, you do that enough times a week, you know, before you go to it bed. And start all, to add up. All of a sudden you put 15, 20 pounds on it. You don't know where it came from. <laughs> so that's, yeah, I, I suffered from that. And that's what I'm trying to work off right now. And it, yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody kind of sympathizes with it because a lot of people have gone, not right. everybody. Some people were still really regimented throughout all this. Right. For some people, it's what helped them to get through this is to be regimented. You know, and for me, you know, I'm now regimented about it more than I was. And that adds to, I think, any combating any sort of anxiety that I have because of everything else going on in the world right now. Mm-hmm. So it's important to do that stuff because, again, it makes you feel better as a human if you just get up and move and work out. Yeah, man, you got to stay going. And for me, I got to be honest here because I am naturally have really good genetics. So my boy Rob Ninkovich would kill me if I didn't say that it was my genetics that keeps me the way I am. He's like, dude, you eat cheeseburger every day and you still got like a six pack. So um, I, <laughs> I do still have a six pack, but that's not a, that's not the important thing. My thing oh, is that. Okay, just want to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> the important thing for me is that I always, uh, COVID pushed me to help to like get a gym in my house. So that is what's really saved me. Because when COVID hit, I didn't work out for like two months. I was starting to become an angry person. I was starting to... Um, really like lash out uh at times and i was just like heather i need to go work out i need to be able to release yep. this energy i need to go do something and she wouldn't let me go to a gym so i was like i gotta do something i gotta do something i was always going to my teammate kurt coleman's house my former teammate and i just felt like i was i was going over his house way too much i was like nah so i need to like <laughs> what you just said to me when i walked in the house you were like hey just come work out here in the garage all the time i'm not gonna do should. that to your wife you should why 
But he was going all the time. Kyle, I'm always here. Oh, okay. That's fair. It's, dude, I'm okay, always so he, here. So you were going over there when he wasn't even home to you. Yeah, gym. that's okay. exactly. I was like, dude, I'm going over there. That makes, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I'm always here. Kyle. That, that so, makes sense. That yeah, makes sense. so that was one thing. So it forced me to get my own gym, which I, I it was so happy Heather and I did that. I'm so appreciative of her always just saying, just go do it. So we did that. And then, and now, uh, but I'm also naturally a smaller person. So I have to sometimes eat and overeat sometimes to be able to keep weight on because naturally I'm probably 180 something pounds if I didn't work out I'd, I'd lose weight where some people that don't work out they gain weight so for me I'm naturally a lot skinnier so I have to try and do some things to at least stay above my threshold of where I'm trying to at least be I don't want to be 200 but I don't want to be 182 either I have the opposite problem right <laughs> like 90% of people have the opposite problem because I understand that my wife gets mad at me all the time oh, yeah. because she's the opposite. She's like, oh, well, how many people don't work out and then lose weight? I'm like, I don't know, but it's my problem. Some okay? people I do. Understand that. Some people do. Right. Okay. It's my problem. And she doesn't want to understand one of my, it, but one it's of my, my problem. One of my best buddies back home was the same way. We lived together in college. Yes. And it, it, like there were a couple of times we'd all just be partying too much. I'd start to get a little fat. Our other roommate would start to get a little fat. This dude could eat anything. And, and he would lose weight. So yeah. The funniest thing, though, has been now that we're in our early to mid-30s, watching him for the first time get fat. Uh -huh. And it is hysterical. And he hates it because he used to always talk shit to everybody because yeah. he could eat whatever he wanted to <laughs> and now we get to see him you know get a little bit fat so that's now that's good i get that but my I'm, wife wishes i get fat she told me the other day at a dinner that she's like you know what babe if i would respect you a lot more if well, she's like first of all do you want to be my trainer my personal trainer i said no because i don't <laughs> i don't she doesn't listen to me she doesn't respect me. i did that for my wife when we first met I heard I, I everybody told me it's plans. a terrible idea. Oh, it's terrible. a horrible idea. I, and terrible. I went through it when we first met. I did yeah. it again when we were still dating. And I tried it one more time like an idiot. And we were, I think, <laughs> engaged maybe. And never again. Because it just turns into arguments. Like, yeah. Just let somebody else do it. I agree. I, I mean, everything I tried to tell her before, she doesn't listen to me. And she doesn't respect me as a trainer. So, Because clearly, I don't know what I'm talking about. So, And that's <laughs> fine. I, I don't really care. So, so she was like, you know, if you gained 40 or 50 pounds and got fat, my fat, yeah, and then then had to lose it back. I would respect you more as a trainer because then you knew what it felt like to be big and then have to lose it. I'm like, I just won't be your damn trainer. There was fine. Some, fine. There was some video on Twitter the other night of some actual chubby fat trainer in a gym somewhere that went viral, and I kind of felt bad because I don't like I don't want anybody to be fat shamed. But like when you are a really fat trainer, that's funny. Like that's funny. That's all I'm saying. Like, I'm not, what do you teach? I don't know. It's fun. Like maybe you know the right things. You just can't be bothered to do them. You know, because you like Oreos too much. But like you could start doing it because you, you know how. But like right now, I got some Oreos that I want to eat. So no, that's why people deal with that stuff all the time, man. Let me ask you this, um, because I know we we got a lot of things we want to get to. First of all, you know that I you were so you were listening to my radio show today. I was. Start, I, I text you. You're texting I into text the show. You, I, I, at some point, I'm gonna build up enough courage to call in. I don't know why. You know, Smitty does it all the time. <laughs> Steve Smith. I need does to it all save the, the number in my phone because sometimes I'm in the middle of the day. I'm riding around. I always like I tell you, I always try and tune in whenever you're on. I always turn it on. Well, I appreciate that. But the reason I ask it is because I, I didn't respond to you when you when you sent them because I was on the air, but I read them all, and then I read them on the air. Did you hear me do that? No, I didn't. See, I, that's what I was wondering. I didn't know if you thought I was just ignoring you no. or maybe you just didn't stick around long enough. To I didn't stick read. around. I was in and out. That's yeah, what I figured. So. No, it happens all the time. So, no, I did read them on the air, and I brought that up because I thought I was going to tell so you. So, did anybody you respond really, to that? Well, no, you made the right points. I mean, that's I, – I think there's – 
there's a case that needs to be listened to on the other mm-hmm. side because it's a, it comes from a good place. It's about safety and right. you know just the. Well, the, I don't think the people know. So go well, ahead no, I'm, I'm going to. So okay. what I was going to say is like what we're talking about is, you know, some people, not not all, not even the majority, but some people in the college football media and even some people who played or coached, you know, it's kind of suggesting that with all these can't. I mean, we've had a huge uptick in postponements and cancellations the last two weeks in college football. And people starting to say things like, you need to just cancel the rest of the season. And I, again, I think that that's a conversation that needs to be had in certain places. I don't know that, you know, if you were to tell me, for instance, that, I mean, is there, which, who's a team that hasn't missed a game to this point in the year? I, I don't know if there, I can't think of one off the top of my head. That's how bad it is. Clemson hasn't missed a game, have they? Uh, no, okay. Anyway, regardless, the team that has, if you're telling Not me they're doing the right things, they haven't been affected, their particular region's still doing okay, and they want to keep playing fine. If you were, though, to also tell me that the Charlotte 49ers football program has, which has had six postponements or outright cancellations to this point, six, they haven't played since October 31st. If you told me that they were going to consider shutting it down for the rest of the season, I'm not saying that would be the absolute right thing to do, but I could understand why you might want to do that. Right. You know Especially I mean? when, so not all cancellations are your own team's fault either. I think right. People should understand Absolutely. That. And I applaud that the commissioners of some of these uh, conferences have started to come out and get in front of this and say, hey, look, when we're having one team cancel, all right, we have four games canceled because four teams that all of a sudden they do not have enough players, scholarship players available or whatever the situation is to cause for them to postpone or move the game. We need to start cross-playing these games and get these games in so teams are able to play. And that's the biggest deal. And I remember Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, since day one said his main goal is, and I won't stop, he's like, I won't relax until we get an S- a conference championship crown. That's all I care about. He said, I don't care about the playoffs. I don't care about anything else. My only goal is to get a conference championship crown this year. So when that's their goal, I understand it. And But Kyle, like I was saying to you, like I text you, and I understand the concerns generally about these. But let's talk about all the work that's going in to get the season as far as we've gotten it. And I think these conferences and these teams, these universities, have done a really good job by yep. manipulating these things and making these things go. They're getting players tested two, three, four times a week. All right, they're staying on top of contact tracing, which people in our own country won't even do that. But the university is <laughs> doing a great job of that. And that is what most, a lot of this stuff is coming from. It's not so many COVID cases that there's much more contact tracing. Because of that, they're putting people down and quarantining them. That's where the real caveat is, is contact tracing, which that is what they're doing, which I wish more people would talk about that aspect of it. It's not so much as everybody's having COVID as much as the contact tracing well, you're not gonna, is what that is. Yeah, some people will, but I mean, that's a good point. You're, you're, you're not going to get Mike Leach to talk about it. I know that much. But <laughs> to your point, that's a couple things you said there. To your point about Greg Sankey, that's really true. And I think that some people, oftentimes fans especially, and media too, mm-hmm. forget what these leagues with these commissioners prioritize yes because you know fans are thinking about national championship college football playoff they want to crown a league champion they want to get their league season in you know that that's they want the other things too but that is the first thing on their priority list that's a cherry on top for sure it is they need to check that off first and so that's a that's a really good point uh to the other point about you know contact tracing some coaches don't like it because there's more tripwire you know, for mm-hmm. losing games and not losing games, but having games called off or postponed. They don't like that. Mike Leach was pretty vocal about that. I, I struggle with what the right answer is on this. And I'm not going to get too epidemiological on this or even try to get too technical. It's just that 
I, I don't, that's not my field of expertise. I know a couple of people who do it and I think they're really smart and I respect their opinions. And, you know, they tell me things like those are all the proper protocol because it's right. the best way to keep people safe. And if it also happens to cause you to miss a football game, well, you have to make a decision on what you prioritize more safety right. than football. Right. And in some cases, if it were up to certain people, the answer would be football and yeah, not safety. And, that, and I'm just glad I haven't heard coaches talk like that. I've only heard them talk about the players safety first. Now behind they, I was going to say they haven't said it publicly. Yeah, and that behind matters. closed doors, they probably have different opinions. But as long as they're publicly saying the right things, I can respect them. And like I was saying earlier, Kyle, I mean Kyle Trask doesn't want to quit. He's having a magical season. That's a good point. Kyle Trask doesn't want to quit. Matt Jones has a chance of all of a sudden going from being to his backup to all of a sudden now you. I'm in the Heisman conversation. You think I just want to quit this season yep. when we got a chance? Um, uh, Texas A&M, they don't want to quit. University of Cincinnati, I'm sure they don't want to quit. BYU, they definitely don't want to quit this season. So you have teams and people out there that are rooting for their fans and these universities that don't want this season to end. They want this season to count because they actually have a chance at doing some things. Great. Notre Dame, and I bet they're a humongous Catholic following. They don't want Notre Dame season to all of a sudden be cut short and say, oh, well, we're done. They don't want that. They beat Clemson. What are you talking about? They're number two in the country right now. I know Notre Dame does not want this season to end. So for as many people that say that, oh, well, you know, things are getting out of control. We should just shut it down. You have probably three or four more times of that. Uh, people that are saying we got to continue to keep it going and that we just have to continue to uh, ride this thing out, ride the wave out and understand that when you have big functions, Kyle, or things that are going to cause people to celebrate, outbreaks will happen. You had Halloween. That's what caused this big spike. Halloween's what it did. It. The, all the parties leading up to Halloween, that whole thing, that is it. And then when you have big wins on campus, you can't expect the normal student body to party like it's 19, I mean, 2000, 99 going into 2000 on New Year's. And, uh, and then the football players not enjoy themselves too when they've been waiting all these years to have a big win on their campus too. And it's just really hard to you think that they're not going to intermingle and things like that. Or you even see teams rushing the field. You see that players. That the dumbest thing You ever. see teams celebrating in the stands with their players. So I'm like, what do you want? I, 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 don't, I don't care what Notre Dame's traditions are. Like, I, 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 the reason I love college football more than, you know, any other spectator sport as a fan. The reason I love college football is because of the traditions, because of the stadiums and the college towns. I respect the hell out of college football tradition. I bring that up because someone tried to justify Notre Dame students rushing the field to me over tradition. I'm like, I, I don't care about your tradition this year. What is their tradition? Uh, apparently, they just do that. I mean, Smoke told me. I don't. I think it was Smoke that told me that. I don't know much about uh, other than touchdown Jesus. And, yeah, because Alabama never rushes the field there because they're never considered the underdog. Well, so Bear Bryant that was my that thought too. You're the number four team in the country. You just beat number one. <laughs> They didn't the have back the quarterback. Quarter. And, oh, by the way, there's a pandemic happening that requires you to stay away from each other. Not only that, they were surrounding their – it's a miracle that Notre Dame played against Boston College this past weekend. Yes. I, I still don't understand how that happened. And before anybody like, – I don't think we need to say this anymore because anybody who's still listening to me and you probably knows what we feel about COVID right now. We all know that these college kids are not the most likely people to get really sick or to you know lose Correct. their lives to COVID. Well, that's just numbers. But there are also like a lot of people out there that still just will not wrap their heads around the fact that that doesn't mean you can just let everybody get it right now. Yeah. You know, and flood hospitals and get people sick and cause right. people to die. And these communities, you know, like South Bend and all over the place, you know, are sort of held hostage by these college students and the way they act. You know, in the public health. And so, 
That that's where I go back to the and whole it should it be canceled more than just the students on that campus. It affects businesses uh, when all of a sudden now people have to start to get ready to shut things down or governors have to step in For to sure. have certain mandates being called because the numbers in the hospitals are being overwhelmed. So sometimes we got to look outside of our own regular day life and really understand that how many other things are affected by our actions. Dude, it's I don't know how far I should go on this, but like. Go, Kyle. Go. There's like people that have influence now that, that talk about these things in a way that it, it's just infuriating scientifically. Like I saw somebody this morning, you know, promoting some study from somewhere trying to prove that masks don't work against COVID. And it's like, then bro, why are they making if we like, do we really have to keep relitigating that? It's no one thinks they're the magic cure. It's just something that, you know, can help mitigate the problem, kind of helps stop the spread, slow it down a little bit. We know it's not perfect in all instances. Sometimes it's human error. We get all that. Yep. I just, but there are people out there that still want to fund, like argue the fundamental stuff, like eight months later, <laughs> and I, I don't understand why we have to, you know, get bogged down in that stuff right now. When literally, quite literally, we are watching, you know, across the country. Like I was watching this morning, you know, place in North Dakota, place in Texas, where oh, hosp- don't talk about hosp- the hospitals are from there. She goes crazy. They're completely <laughs> overwhelmed, man. And I just don't get why people can't grasp oh. that right now. It's no one like we, go live your life in fear. You know, go live the rest of your life in fear if you want to, bro. I'm not walking around scared. I'm not. I don't. I'm not walking around shaking in my boots. Like I don't think the world's about to end. I just wish that the lot of you who struggled, to, like didn't even you slept through high school biology. You know, you slept through basic science class, but now you're you're an expert on the spread of, of viruses and virology telling everybody else what does and doesn't work because you don't want to really do it. And it's just a big inconvenience to you. That's the problem that I have. And I don't know that we can, I bring it up because I'm not, I don't know how you overcome that because there are people out there still, there is a literal sports blogger from the state of Ohio who was just hired by Ron DeSantis, the governor of the state of Florida. And I, let me, let me look this up to get the exact position right, because I don't want to get this wrong, but he just, he just hired a sports blogger from Ohio to serve in some capacity in the Florida state government's, uh, coronavirus, COVID defense task force, something. I mean, it, it's wild, man. The, the kind of like we have people of real influence who think that this is just all made up. And so, so Kyle, one thing that I have not taken full advantage of is my sister. Um, when it comes to this, so she uh, has a biology. She's into biology. She's been doing all this virology, virology, all that stuff, right? Uh, I don't even know how to use the word. No, you got term. it. By the way, real quick, just to slide this in. It was. It was a, uh, a sports blogger. Governor Ron DeSantis hired him to be, to be a data analyst. But he picked, as they write in the Miami Herald, a little-known Ohio sports blogger and Uber driver whose only relevant experience is spreading harmful conspiracy theories about COVID-19 on the internet. Hired him to be a data analyst at the state level in the fight against COVID-19. Ron DeSantis just hired a sports blogger who has no background in this whatsoever. Anyway, proceed. Your yeah, I, I don't even, Kyle, I mean, I started asking my sister these questions while I was at work the other day because people went through, I was like, you know what, my sister's in outside of D.C. and she's been like doing all this stuff, like she's been working with viruses and uh, different bacteria for years and now she's up there in this chemistry lab up there outside of D.C. and I forgot, she told me, she's like, yeah, I've seen Dr. Fauci before in the building. I'm like, hold on. You know, doctor, like, you don't. She's like, I don't know him. I've just seen him on the, the building. He was going to another floor to me. I'm like, bro, like, you're there with, like, the people. Like, you're there. And, like, I started sending her all these texts. She was just answering questions for me just very easily. Yeah. About, like, different common 
uh, thoughts or processes or what they think about this. Or it's and, crazy the way people tried to demonize that guy. But go ahead. Yeah, it, I was just like, damn, Tag, I didn't know. Like you knew so much. I forgot that you knew so much. And I've just been texting her the last forty-eight hours. He just he just answered my questions. Like, well, yeah. If you anything else you need to know, just let me know, and I'll just I'll shoot it to you. And she's also like telling me things like, well. Um, just about how what what we think we need to know versus like what they probably don't want to tell us when it comes to the numbers of uh, like like there's no reason to test people that have already died from certain things or illnesses. There's no reason to test whether they have COVID or not because they're already dead. So um, is the number that we have maybe possibly more? That's not something that the normal everyday population wants to hear, right? Or no, so don't test them. Let that ride. Like, oh yeah, I was like. I never even thought about that. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, she's like, yeah. Well, that's just kind of like the. Yeah, are there are there are there people who died from it like early, early that you know didn't right, didn't, right, didn't or get or, added to or the maybe count? that were sick early that you just did not know. Right. Um, well, I got I got super sick um, at the turn of the year. I got sick. Right, yeah, a one days. of my one of my former teammates got really sick around Super Bowl in February, and he sick was just like, I've ever been. He said he was like couldn't move for like three days. Yeah. He was so sick. I'd never been that sick, and then I went to urgent care uh, over the weekend when it finally got too bad, mm-hmm. and this was before COVID was really in anybody's consciousness on you know, a national level. And I did test positive for the flu and I'd never had, I never had the full blown flu before either. Mm-hmm. And I've never had a flu shot. Like I've, I've had really good luck in my life. No flu, no flu shot, but I got it for the first time around new year's Eve. And I, I wanted to die. Like it felt like my insides were being sucked out. Yeah. And so I, you know, looking back for a second, you know, if I hadn't gotten tested and known what it was, then I probably would have assumed that I had it back yeah. at that point. But I mean, I've heard it's miserable. We've heard from athletes who haven't felt the same for, you know, weeks or even mm-hmm. months at some point. It, it's it's no joke. It's not anything to mess around with, and you know, I, people that just you got these people these people out there that still want to throw memes at you and you know survival rates as if like that's right, the only right. bad outcome or there's just a lot that that goes yeah, into. Yeah, but it. I mean, you don't still want to hear about the survival rates when you have people that you know that are that are no longer here. Like you don't care about your numbers, you yeah. know. And I know me and you've spoken about people that are friends that you've lost um, personally, and I just want to get to where eight nine months down the road. So now we don't have people still out here mad and talking about who, what election got stolen and all this other <laughs> stuff. I'm so over it, Kyle. I'm so over it. Oh, buddy. I'm just very proud that people can, all, how many people in America showed up to vote Wrong. on either side. Wrong. It was the most we'd ever seen. So good job, America, for all you going out there and using your power within the American right to vote. I, pr- I, I applaud them for doing that. And now you actually see what our uh, sitting president brought out of the country. He brought out a lot of people that wanted to vote, and on either side, and yeah. he lost. There were a lot of people <laughs> motivated to vote. In a lot election. of people were motivated to vote. A this was not a thing, and that's what I'm saying. Like that was the motivation. He was the catalyst for that. Um, I'm not going to say what other things he was a catalyst for, but I know that was one. Was that. People got out and voted. Whether you voted for Donald J. Trump or you voted against him, you voted. And that's what it brought out. And I was I was shocked to see the numbers of which how many people showed up to vote. And um, I just would like to see that continue. Well, well, sure. That's the thing. And I told somebody the other day, whether you like him or love him or you're indifferent, the one good thing that I think is indisputable that has come out of these last four years is that there is a much, much, much greater level of civic engagement yeah. and people caring actively about 
-hmm. politics and governance than probably was the case four years ago, mm -hmm. or at least it wasn't reflected then. Because I, not to get on my high horse, but you know how much I value education, how important yes, I think that is. Like access to education is the key to unlock the world for anybody, no matter where you're from. And I'm, I'm passionate about that. That's where we're lacking right now, A, in this country. We've slipped mm -hmm. to 27th, 28th in the world, worse in certain categories. And we just need people to know, like, you, you ought to be able to pass a basic civics exam uh, before you graduate from high school. You, you damn sure be able to, to pass one at a, at a pretty high rate before you can serve in the government. I'm looking at you, Tommy Tuberville. Um, <laughs> and twice in the span of 24 hours, that man said that, you know, his, I guess his grandfather, his father, his grandfather, whoever it was, you know, served in World War II to help the United States fight the fight against socialism. What? Because you, you, you're telling us a version of history that almost nobody else lived, buddy. They, they, stopped, they fought it to stop the encroachment, the domination of fascism in Europe uh, because of Pearl Harbor. Maybe you could have thrown that one in there. You know, the, the stopping of the genocide of, of, you know, Jewish folks. I mean, like, Literally any number of things except fighting against socialism, and then turned around the very socialism next day. Socialism is a word that everybody wants to throw. Well, out. socialism is a form of, of you know economics. I mean, it's it's a it's an economic theory. It's a system. It's you know there's people conflate socialism and communism all the time. But the other thing Tommy Tuberville said the next day, I believe, was uh, that the three branches of government are the the House, the Senate, and the executive, not the you know the executive, legislative, the <laughs> judiciary, but, you know, the House, the Senate, and the executive. This man is a sitting senator in the state of Alabama, Romer, and just... Uh, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, man, it's Alabama, you know that's my, that's I, my home. I get it, I understand, that's I, I'm not my, from my good, So I didn't even know that he had said that, Tuberville said that, until one of my best friends um, growing up went to Auburn, was like, and he was there when Tubbs was coached, he was just like, I'm so ashamed of Auburn, I feel bad for Auburn. Then. Oh yeah, he's like I just feel bad for Auburn right now because this is this is a reflection of us too. Like, and I got to be fair in pointing that out because I, there are people who will get their feelings hurt if I don't point it out. And I also think it warrants pointing out that once upon a time, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez also screwed up the three branches of government. Oh yeah, that's true. You know, she was trying to correct herself and got it even more wrong, and that's the quote that lingered. And so she did screw it up. Um, you know, but. Tommy was very confident in himself when he said the House, the Senate, and well, the executive. Well, he's never done anything. Uh, I, just, I don't even know. I, I want to talk to another guy that I know in Alabama that's a senator. Not a senator. There's a, civil, uh, there's a literal civil service exam that you're supposed to take like, how you, do you as how a How do you go server. from like, football coach to Senate, like U.S. Senate? I, you know, I'm, I said the other day on Twitter, and I think I made some people mad. A few people unfollowed me with this, and that's fine. You know, we're so divided right now that you know we can't even make fun of a football coach saying something stupid, but... Um, now I said the other day that I, it, it's not that it has to be, you know, partisan political take. And it's not that I don't think football coaches should ever run for office, you know, because I think. Yeah, but he got it because he, he is in Alabama. Well, because. He was running a Republican ticket. And, that's still a deeply red state. And, and Trump came down and didn't like, uh, what's his name? That was there forever. Uh, Jeff Sessions. Yeah, yeah. No, he was really hard on Jeff Sessions. Yeah, that, that, that was, was really, really, that mean, that's, really hard on that's Jeff really Sessions. That's really what got him going. And. It was, That's why he won. Yes, absolutely and right. The guy, Bob Jones, actually did has done pretty good for Alabama. And it took the worst candidate ever for a Democrat to actually get that. And then At the, list, at the risk of sounding elitist, because I'm anything but that. At the same time, though, because I value education as much as I do, I'm going to point out when people who are supposed to be leaders of other people say dumb stuff. 
it, you, it's not that I think Doug Jones is perfect. I don't know Doug Jones specific. Like I know who he is. I know what he. I know it was surprising when he won that race as a Democrat in Alabama last time around. I mean, it took the worst Republican candidate of like all time. I'm also not surprised they ran a football coach against him, knowing that would be enough to win in Alabama. <laughs> all due respect. I'm also just saying that you know it's not that I agree with all of Doug Jones' policies. It's that this man was a pretty you know respected litigator. I mean, he's a pretty respected attorney. I, you know, I think that. You know, he's done some, a lot of good civil rights work. Like this is a guy who understands government, understands. Yeah. And Tommy Tuberville's out here talking about the House, the Senate, and the executive. And, and I don't think that means that Tommy shouldn't have a voice or an opinion or can't do good for people. But no, no, no. Dude. Did you see any of his commercials? So, Kyle, I watched some of his commercials and like when he was running and things like this. I was just like, I can't believe Tommy Tuberville's about to win this. Because in my mind, I'm like. He's going to win. <laughs> like, he's going to win. He's you Republican. Just knew it. Dude, he's going to win. Yeah. Jeff Sessions, Trump hated him. Yeah. All right? He's in Alabama, so yes. it's got to be a Republican. Uh-huh. That's, just, yes. that's just what they're going to do. It doesn't matter about what the how good the other guy even is. Again, Doug Jones it, winning in the first place. Yeah, it doesn't even matter. It's like, oh, well, uh, no, he's not Republican. Don't know him. Can't do it. <laughs> I'm like, well, what about all the good things he's done the last two years? no. Mm-mm, gotta go. So um, it's just really funny because I talked to somebody that's in uh, in the government field in Alabama, and they were like, and he's a Republican. He's like, hey man, this guy, this guy Doug Jones done some really good stuff. He's like, I really like the guy. He's really good. I'm like, for real? I was like, so you think he's got a chance? He's like, oh no, he has no chance to breathe. No, no, no. no, no. He's, like, he's like, no, <laughs> not gonna happen. Said, I hate it for him. I think he's a great. I think he's been really good at what he's been doing. He's done some really good stuff for Alabama. But there's no chance he keeps winning. No yeah. Well, like, I was like, he's like, no chance. He also ran against Roy Moore last yeah, time. Yeah, that's what I'm so, saying. Roy Moore was the worst. Yeah, he had, it, yeah. Like he literally. came in on a horse, bro. I mean, that that doesn't make him the worst. No, but everything else he did. I was going to say, literally, almost everything else <laughs> that we know about it publicly makes him the worst. It's not the horse thing. Come on. No, now. the horse is not the, the worst. The horse is not the worst. There's no doubt about that. The only thing, that, the lot, I, we don't have, we're having so much fun. I, I hate to walk it down with politics, but like. It's so frustrating because we have people living in two alternate universes right now. <laughs> not that, even that, state universe. You, literal universes, man. <laughs> and and it starts with I'm not a guy that believes that like the media is <laughs> I saw somebody yesterday on on social media was like the, the, the virus is not our real problem. The media is the real virus. And I'm like, "Hold on, wait a I'm minute." I'm scared of social media more than like Correct. the TV media Correct. because the social media people just can put anything. Like Facebook is probably scary. I don't have Facebook. Oh, I've gotten on Facebook a, a couple of more times recently lately. I, I've been going. But the stories weeks. I've heard from Facebook. Let me tell you something, dude. I was I was alarmed <laughs> when I saw what I, I was I was alarmed, dude. I was taken aback a little bit. It was it's bad. I mean, I've I, I know people. I, I'm not going to keep people's names out of it to protect the uh, the not innocent here. But there's no reason to shame anybody. I've had some people send me stuff like, "What do you think about this?" I, I think that looks like it was made in a ninth grade audio video class and nothing about it makes any sense. And I'm absolutely mortified that you think this passes as news. Mm-hmm. And, and look, I don't expect, I know that like, because I went to school for media a little bit, I work for media. I, mm-hmm. I, I understand that I have a, a, a very different view of it than a lot of other people, but there are also a lot of people out there who work in various other fields who do understand media, at least well enough to know what's what and how to differentiate fact from fiction and, you know, understanding the difference between reporting and editorials. That was something that more adults understood, I think, back in the day. And it concerns me how many people just don't have a basic understanding of things that, you know, b- both pertain to government politics, but also to 
media and journalism and just the basics of how things work. And again, Facebook, to your point, is the worst. And all of these social media platforms just... They're using algorithms that continue to feed people what it sees that they want. Right, that social dilemma thing was so deep because that really unfolded. That like that removed the wool from my eyes, man. Like really did. Like it just took it back. I'm like, man. So you're saying every time I click on it, these algorithms are continued. They will bring you whatever you continue to search for. Your phone will go there. Like the moment you start to oh click on this, next you know something, some ad's gonna pop up and show you. It's gonna go. And send you these things. I, I, I'm so glad you told me to watch that too. I, I don't look. I, I just don't get it. I really don't. We have such a. And you know what? Back in the day, Kyle, you also got to understand. People were, they took more um, pride in being able to report the truth. It, well, I think. And, and yes. now I think it's more about being first. Well, I don't think it's that way among the individual reporters for the most part. I, I think there are some that. people I think like they all that. try to be I think the, well, the corporate nature of, of our media now is a problem. And and it's not one that I'm I'm here to offer like a silver bullet solution to fix because if right. I did, I'd be working as a consultant raking in, you know, eight figures a year making those kind of decisions for people. No doubt. I, but I, it's not also, you know, high-level calculus to point out that when news and specifically, you know, news content, when all of content like that, when that became like the new gold mine, the new gold rush, mm-hmm. right? There was the gold rush back in the day. There was the dot com boom back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, you know, it's data now and it's you know, getting people's data and information. So when all of that happened, and again, I'm just regurgitating things that we kind of all know at this point, it just it changed the game. I'll put it that way. And people just don't have a fundamental understanding of how this stuff works. And because of that, it leads to such a complete and total inability to even communicate and have a rational, educated conversation with some people. Case in point, you know, I remember when Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State got busted for the Oklahoma, the, uh, the OAN t-shirt. I say busted. He didn't get busted. He just got called out and it turned into a yeah, whole controversy. Yeah, um, so, I mean, OAN, when that came out, I was like, look, the numbers are the nu- what they're this. OAN's in 35 million homes in America. Okay, as a network, it's available in 35 million homes in America. Less than a half a million people on average were watching OAN when that came out. And their numbers haven't grown that much, but they've grown a little bit. And Newsmax, too. These are like these are channels that are further right than Fox News, considerably okay. in some cases. It'd be like you know having a network that was considerably further left than, than MSNBC. But I'm getting off track here. The bottom line is when it all became corporatized and all became for profit and the content explosion happened... And these content mills started selling for hundreds of millions, billions of dollars. We just lost any sort of like gravitational pull toward what a, mm-hmm. a solid body of truths looked like. And, and like a set of facts that we believed at least together to be fundamentally true. Man, you got, I watched a video last night of some woman who was screaming at her son's teacher on, on the phone because they were doing some electoral map exercise in class and they were, you know, coloring the states red and blue and, you know, they updated it with the current electoral college vote count by Biden 306 and Trump 2, I forget what the exact number was, 222 maybe. And uh, the, t- the mom is on the phone saying, angry? you know, uh, angry, you know, and threatened to come to the school and raise hell. And she's like, where did you get this from? And I had to tell him that, you know, why, why does OAN say this? You know, and why does whatever other outlet she referenced say that? She goes, oh, and then I found out she got it from Google. Well, of course she got it from Google. You, you think Google's liberal. Google is, is the too liberal place to get information now? Google. Google just feeds you whatever you type in, right? It's, it's a search engine. <laughs> and, you know, I, I just, the, the whole SEO, the way it optimizes results, I mean, I, that's, that's a different conversation, one that I'm quite frankly not 
really all that qualified to have, but we there are people living in a different universe right now. Yeah. And that's why all this, you know, cage rattling about will he leave, won't he leave, are they gonna have to drag Trump out by his hair? Like that's really unsettling and destabilizing a lot of people yeah, in a lot I just of ways. Don't, I don't understand why we're so um we're just so entrenched right now in where well, we're at. Bad. So and, bad. And people aren't gonna move either way. And you know what? I'm not even here to try to move anybody anymore. I just know Everybody went out there and voted. I was proud of America for going out there and voting. Uh, the votes tell what it is. Um, and the last thing I'll say about this, because I, I know we both want to touch on some other things here, is just like, oh yeah, I can't wait. I want to talk. I do too. Just very simply, like what I just need people, like friends of mine that are you know, further to the right than I am, to understand is nobody, nobody that you know is following this election that I know anyway. Reasonable people. Nobody wants any cheating. Nobody no. wants any voter fraud of any sort of massive scale. But like. The Department of Homeland Security, the DHS, you know, director of the, the cyber technical or the, the, the cybersecurity division, Chris Krebs last night just got fired. He's called this multiple times the most secure election in American history. Well, because they were prepared for it for what happened in 16. They were not prepared for whatever happened in exactly. 16. Not only that, but they said that so many states like themselves didn't have like the the computer capacity, not computer capacity, but the technology to be able to counteract all this stuff. So they had to hire people individually in every state to be able to all be on the same thing so now they can communicate uh, with each other about certain things. I, I think that was one big thing. And and um, he came out and said what it was, but he said that he knew he was going to get fired. Oh, yeah, he, he said, said days that. ago. He expected <laughs> to be fired. Well, he's fired the defense secretary and, you know, Haspel and Ray with the FBI and CIA. Or I guess the, neither one of them, they probably have their stuff in a box already, just ready to go. But last thing, again, I'll say to that same point is nobody wants fraud or election. No. I would not support that in any way, shape, or form, at, period. I think all anybody would be asking for is some proof that, that it's going to hold up in court and not be immediately thrown out and... You know, like uh, if you have like this wild conspiracy I read this morning about uh, you know the, the Dominion voting machines and a raid in Germany by U.S. special forces and our votes are being tabulated in Spain and I'm like, this is only coming from one place. <laughs> Nobody else is reporting this, and it's not a vast conspiracy. It's because it's not true. Yeah. And you know, I, the, the, but it's it's a different universe. That's the last thing I'll say about that. Back to a brighter note. The NBA draft is tonight. I'm I'm excited. LaMelo Ball, baby, going number one. It's going to happen, Kyle. Everybody's talking like he's not going to, everybody's flying, oh, he's going to slip, all these other things. Not happening. The kid from Georgia is going to get picked one and number two, and then LaMelo is going to be one and number two. I've been talking about the draft for like two weeks now. Mm-hmm. Hornets have the number three pick overall. I'm, uh, I'm very Are you still, man, all in on Obi Toppin? Because that was your guy. No, no, no. I still love Obi. I think Obi's going to be really good. I understand why you're, you're probably not going to take him with the third overall pick. I get it. I um, want to see what Golden... I'm very intrigued on what Golden State does. Yeah, well, Very no, intrigued by Golden, Golden State. Golden State could end up being what, you know, the the, the, the... the That's the one. So whatever they do... I think Golden State's the pen and the grenade tonight. <laughs> Because, like, you could see the Hornets trade with the Warriors. You could see the Bulls right there behind them at four trade with the Warriors. Uh, there was actually reporting about that this morning that uh, the Bulls may look to move up to get number two, and they would send uh, their fourth overall pick and Wendell Carter Jr. with it in exchange for the number two pick to go get James Wiseman, who is the guy that I really want the Hornets to pick. I, I really want them to get James Wiseman. I think he'd be great for them because he I would, would get up love and that. That's exactly what I would love to see. So I, I want to see James Wiseman become a Charlotte Hornet. That's what I'd prefer to see. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you're right. There's a lot of, I, there's a lot of uncertainty in this draft. 
And the one thing I think we do know at this point, I think we know at this point, is that we're going to see some combination of Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball go one, two, three. I don't know what order. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's probably most likely at this point that Wiseman goes two, but then again, I don't know that. So I think those three guys are going top three in what order, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's everybody's consensus. And it's so much easier to know in basketball sometimes that your top players and in the NBA, they draft. I don't care if they got a starting point guard. Then the point guard is number one rated player. They just get them anyway. That's what they do. They don't. They don't care about position or anything else. They're just like, well, we'll just get the best player, and they draft on potential. And it's not like that with the NFL. It's you know, it's a lot of oh, what, what do you need? What uh, what are all these other things? And basketball, they're just like, who's the best player? Let me get them. And um, I want to see what European guys come over. Denny Obvia. That's what him, him and Killian Hayes from France. Okay, I'm always interested to see players that I do not know or uh, foreign guys that come over and next you know in two years they are balling. I was really interested in Avia for a bit, and I still think he might be good. Uh, but I do, like, as time's gone on, I've gotten... This is great information for you for later on, Kyle. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. There you go. I've gotten much more... Uh, it, I, I've... How, about, how do I want to phrase this? I almost said I'm much more attracted to. Uh, I would like to see them draft James Wiseman. Yes. Because I, it's 7-1... Seven six wingspan, uh, and he gets up and he down. He can floor. run the floor. A dude seven one that runs the floor like he does. I talked to uh, Paul Biancardi about this on my radio show today. Uh, Paul Biancardi is the national recruiting director for ESPN and the former Horizon League Coach of the Year at Wright State. Uh, Paul's got a great eye for basketball, and he said that uh, his. I, I talked about Jay Billis comparing James Wiseman to um, Chris Bosh mm-hmm. yesterday on the show on, on our station. But Paul was like, yeah, I could see that. He said, I would actually compare him more to Dave Robinson. Oh, Which, awesome. I mean, look, it's just a comp. You, yeah. you can't guarantee that he's going to turn out to be. But why is he left-handed, too? That's yeah, thing. he is. Yeah. And they're both left-handed. So, yeah. I mean, but the thing is, like, when you watch him, to your point, the dude, the fact that he runs the floor as gracefully as he does at 7-1 is really impressive. And he's got pretty soft hands, too. And he can come in right away, give you some rebounding, some defense, you know, protect the rim. And I, I think he's got a much, much better, broader offensive base to build on than some people realize. I think he's got a, a really good chance to be special. I do too. And, you know, I know it's only a highlight film, but and he only played a couple games at Memphis. But he was pretty dominant at Memphis for a couple games. And he was the number one player in his high school um, that, that whole year. Uh, I think he was one of the top players, if not the top player, when he, when he signed to Memphis. And he only got to play a couple games. I've seen him in a couple highlights where he's going between his legs, boom, taking the ball to the rack, jamming on a couple people. So that transitions well. I just like that it's a more open court feel, and I think that he can run. And to me, you've got to have a big man that can get up and down the court nowadays. And it's almost – it's crazy to me that I'm listening to you on your show, and they devalue guys that are back to the basket centers now. I'm like, what? Well, it's been that way for a minute, though. That's you know crazy that. to but me, though. I, well, I know, but everybody <laughs> – I didn't start with Kevin Durant, but he certainly, I think, revolutionized it. The the guy who's six nine, six ten, six eleven, seven foot, really six ten to seven one, who can handle the ball, knock down three, you know, and be a, a stretch four. There aren't that many of them on earth, mm-hmm. but there are some guys who really changed the game in that Dirk way. Dirk Nowitzki was another guy. Oh, Dirk was yeah. Dirk's a great example. Dirk, you know, Dirk. His, his he was like one of the first face-up guys that I know. I think the gravitational pull kept him a little closer to the bucket sometimes than KD, but then again, maybe not. I mean, I, obviously he could stroke it, you know, and then shot it really well from three. Dirk was just special, mm-hmm. um, and he was so much fun to watch. But yeah, I don't think they're you know that that's they're getting so good, so long, so athletic. Uh, 
I, they're going to have to raise the rim a foot, I think, at some point. Like, it's gotten too easy for some of these guys. I, I think, again, getting back to the draft, I think Wiseman's got special potential. Um, Anthony Edwards could be really good, but there's something about him that, Bob, that kind of scares me a little bit. It scares me, too, because when I watched him at Georgia, he wasn't – I mean, Georgia still wasn't good. He, he, he doesn't have the highest motor in the world. Like, he's Georgia's, explosive. To me, Georgia still wasn't good. I no. To me, that that bothers me. It's not a perfect comparison, but if you think about Ben Simmons at LSU and Markel Fultz at Washington, you know, two guys who uh, were obviously top picks who didn't win much in college. You know what I mean? And, and that, Fultz looked a lot better last year in Orlando. Man, he looked. A he lot looked better, better, but he's never going to be the number one overall pick. He's oh, never. Man. He's never going to. Well, be he that was guy. the number one overall. But you know what I mean by I that? He, he's never going to reach that. You know that threshold. But, I, but I'm happy. I actually brought that up, I think, with Matt Doherty the other day, that I'm happy for Markel Fultz that he found it because I never want to well, see him. Well, can you imagine Markel like Fultz continue to develop his jumper like D. Rose has done? D. Rose is a better, way much, much better shooter than he was when he first came into the league. And he had to develop that over time. He was always explosive. And you look at what Fultz has been doing last year. He was taking the ball to the rack and, like, going up over dude. So you saw some of the potential that he was drafted on. I mean, you can't help the guy that he they took him number one overall and it did not work at all. And uh, I'm happy that it's in a different place and you know can continue to showcase his talent. I'm rooting for him. And all and it seems like whenever guys kind of falter early in life, well, early in their career, next you know everything that they do that's positive from there on, everybody's like over cheering for him. They're like, oh my gosh, for Mark Fultz scored 15 points. It's like <laughs> a big deal when because he had so many struggles early in his career. So now when you see him, everything's positive. Uh, and everything that he gives you is just a big bonus. And everybody acts so shocked when you really like, well, he was the number one overall pick in the draft. Like, this shouldn't shock everybody. But, no, no, it um, shouldn't. It really, but you, it's a good point. And I just, Edwards worries me a little bit in that way. Guys who have big ability, big talent, didn't win much in college, not necessarily all his fault, obviously. But mm -hmm. when you start talking about things like, uh, you know, focus and consistent effort and, you know, even like Seth Greenberg told me last week about uh, Edwards that one of his biggest concerns with him was the fact that I think he showed up to his workout a little bit overweight and the fact that, you know, Seth had said before that, he, he wondered about his basketball IQ, I think is how he put it a little bit. I mm -hmm. uh, had nothing else bad to say about him other than that. You know, just uh, just some, some basketball criticisms, really. But, yeah, I, if it's not Wiseman, I thought maybe it was going to be Onyeko Kongu. It still could be that. And I'm talking Hornets still, by the way. Um, and, and maybe it, it ends up being – like, LaMelo Ball. Let's just – let's stay there for a second. LaMelo Ball. I don't know what to make of this kid. First of all, he's 6'7 now, and I, I can't believe this dude has grown this much. He's grown in front of everybody's eyes, and it's not his own fault. It's not his own fault. He should have went to been able to go to college and enjoy and be a normal kid. Yep. But that's not And that's path. that's where I'm going with this. So he's 6'7. He's got a 6'10 wingspan. And this dude passes like he's a part of the Harlem Globetrotters. Um, you know, there, there's some things that, like, are... Question. Natural, yeah, yeah, natural. Ability. He's got some natural gifts. There's no doubt. Um, you know, and and I don't think again, if we, if I'm going to say that James Wiseman's offensive game can be polished, so can this kid's. You know, he's not a great shooter. Um, he he cannot be a volume shooter anytime soon. And he, he does shoot it though. He's not afraid of anything. And he's shot. another one where people have, have turned like guys who scouted, who coached, will turn on the tape and they'll say he does not try on defense. You know, he does not give you the kind of effort you need defensively to succeed in the NBA. Um, has, I think that that goes with not going to college, though, and learning how to compete. He's, but like, see, he went overseas, and it was more of a showcase than actual – I don't know. I think going to college would have helped him out a little bit. It may have. I think it – well, it helps – you know how it is. It helps certain guys. It, it will do nothing for others. 
But he, I read a, an interesting piece, or most of one, anyway, over at The Athletic this morning from Joe Varden about uh, the season that he spent at Spire, the Spire Academy up in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, by the time it was over, it was kind of a disaster. It fell apart. Nobody wanted anything to do with it ever again. The school was like, yeah, we want to be good at basketball, but we'll never sign up for the Ball Family Facebook uh, reality show like they did, sign of waivers. Like it, it turned into a zoo. But the, the one thing about that I will say is most people apparently came away from that experience saying that, you know, LaMelo seems like a much more grounded, humble, easygoing kid than he may have any right to be just given the circus that he kind of came up in when he was mm-hmm. you know, a, a teenager. And I don't mean that as a shot to him. I mean, like, really, that can that can mess kids up. Yes, it can. And apparently he's he still stayed pretty grounded, pretty, um, pretty I guess, uh, I don't know, reasonable, humble. And so, like, that that's encouraging. I just – I mean, he had, like, a – a really, really expensive car when he was like 16, bro. Like, not a normal beater, um, but a high-end car. I, I don't think that does anybody uh, a great deal of humbling when you give them a six-figure car uh, when you turn 16. Um, let's go to your other Carolina team, the Panthers, that got blown out against Tampa Bay, who come off one of the, ber- the worst beatings that they've had to the Saints, my guys. Um, just a couple weeks ago. So, Tampa, I mean, your Carolina Panthers, Christian McCaffrey signed a big deal, been banged up all year That's long. what you wanted to ask me earlier? Yeah. Love this. Go ahead. He's been banged up all year long. Um, do they shut down Christian McCaffrey for the year? I don't think they do that. you got to let him play to pay him too much money. And he's the one thing that constant brings guys in. The Panthers have looked good in mostly all their games. They've been very competitive. Um, where are the biggest question marks? How do they continue to get better? Um, and what do you look to? What is it? What does the future look to for the? What, what does it look like for the Panthers? I, I think good. I mean, I, I, I don't. At this point, I'll be honest with you. I'm not dodging your question. I just don't think that there's enough sample size. Well, there, there, that sure, but well, no. I'll say it this way. I think we have seen enough. And Jeff Schwartz and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. You know, Jeff. Uh, For those that don't, Jeff played in the NFL, uh, offensive lineman with the Panthers, with the Giants. His brother, Mitchell Schwartz, is the right tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs, Mm -hmm. arguably the best right tackle in the NFL, Uh, one of them at least. And And, part of the uh, Jewish tribe, too. Correct. And so Jeff and I were talking about this, and I've I've been saying this. I said it before the season started, but this is because I've been following Matt Rule's career for years. Mm -hmm. Uh, I said the reason I liked him and wanted them to hire him to begin with, and I said it before the season, is that if if you're worried about him going from college to the pro with – you know, rules changes, the culture of the locker room, you know, the business dynamic, you know, plenty of things that, that could trip up a guy, no doubt about it, right? But in terms of teaching football, I don't think there was ever any, shouldn't ever have really been any concern about that. And Jeff came on two weeks ago and said the exact same thing. Uh, you know, Jeff lives in the film room and he said, look, we know he can coach. Like we've seen them say competitive. Ever. Last week was the first time they've been blown out, period, against Tampa Bay. Yeah, they just and, ran into a bus. You know, Rule has been maximizing the talent on that team, on that roster. Uh, doesn't mean they've been perfect or even great every time because they haven't. But, you know, Matt Rule has gone toe-to-toe with a lot of good coaches, a lot of good opposing quarterbacks, and, and did it week one against John Gruden and a pretty good Raiders team. So I'm not worried about Matt Rule's ability to coach. I'm, I'm as always, with every team, like you know, just following along to see what they do to, to add talent and build this roster because they need more talent. Yeah, they do. I like that Matt Rule has continued to show that he's willing to do whatever it takes to win every game. Whether it's fake a punt, whether it's go for it on fourth He's down. aggressive as hell. I, I like that part because that at least lets me know that you know who you are. That, all right, we're, we're used to being down. We may not be, we may be outmanned, 
but we're not going to be outgunned. All right, we're going to continue to shoot bullets. We're going to do whatever it takes to give ourselves a chance to win. I like that part about it. He's not just going by the coach's rule book saying, oh, well, we got to punt. We got to be this. He's not conservative. I appreciate that. I like more aggressive coaches and outward thinking guys and people that don't just go by the rule books that you constantly are engaged in the game and that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to win this game right now. I'm not worried about next week. I'm not worried about next year. I want to be, I'm right here in the moment. So for me, that's a positive that I've seen out of Matt Rule personally. Um, as a team, when I see the whole team as a whole, I think they got, they got some holes they have to get better in. They, linebacker, they have to get more. Um, I, I don't think, I don't know, I just don't know enough about this scheme. I wish I was in the meetings and I could see more about them individually and really be able to watch and break down their film because, like I said since day one, Kyle, that's been my only question mark. Is like, I just don't know what they're doing, some of these things that they're doing. Um, I think that Brian Burns has continued to elevate himself and really show that he is a constant game changer when you allow him to rush the passer. And they got to continue to do that. They got to continue to find people that can change the game for them. Um, do you still think uh, Malcolm Brown, uh, I mean, uh, uh, what's his name? Big Brown up front. Derek Brown. Derek Brown. I don't know. Where, who's Malcolm Brown? Malcolm's another somebody. I don't know. Derek Brown um, maybe has not put up the great numbers that people have wanted to see out of a top 10 pick. And what do you feel about that? Um, I know Gross Matos has done all right when he's been healthy. I know you like how he has been able to produce. Jeremy Chin's another guy who has been all over the place. Um, pride. Um, what do you think about that? Was I right about that one? No, you were right about that one. Okay. You're right about that one. I'll give you credit for that. This defense is going. To, the defense is going to be okay. You you were among the first people that pointed out some of the schematic things. You know, some of the the three three five uh, looks three even you know some three five three. That was crazy. I hadn't seen some of that stuff since high school. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was some of that stuff was you were right to point out. Then they made some adjustments. You know, yeah, three yeah. four weeks in a row, and you know started putting some sack numbers up. Now, they're still not getting after the quarterback nearly how they need to be as a defense, but it got better, and. They've just, for about a three-week stretch there, they were beat up as hell on defense. They were playing undrafted guys, you know, seventh-round rookies, and it, they, they just took some lumps. But between Matos and Brown and Chin and I think Pride, um, and I think Bravion Roy possibly too, the kid out of Baylor in the fifth round, the, def the, uh, the defensive tackle, they, they got off to a good start, you know, drafting some of that talent. Mm -hmm. Weatherly, that didn't work out in bringing him over from Minnesota. I was hopeful that he could help, but, uh, you know, Minnesota fans were not – like happy to see him go. They understood why they couldn't keep him, but a lot of Vikings fans wished he could have stuck around. He just didn't work out here. And, you know, Burris got hurt. Dante Jackson's been playing with his toe deal all season long. And, you know, that's a work in progress on defense. That is on offense, kind of the same, um, you know, Teddy, the combination of Teddy Christian, now Mike Davis, that dude's a stud. Um, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, those guys, on your offense, should be enough to win a lot of games. Yes. The problem is right now that outside of Taylor Moten, I don't know that there's an offensive lineman on that team that knows he's got a job next year. Yeah. And, and contractually, obviously, some might be a bit more inclined or obvious than others. Like, I don't think Dennis Daly's going anywhere, for instance. And, um, I, and I'm not saying that you know Greg Little won't turn into anything, but they still have some work to do on the offensive line, especially in the interior. Especially in the interior. So... All that amounts to... You mean the guys that I don't ever like talking about? The guys about? you hate talking about. So all that amounts to, ultimately, is they're exactly who we thought they'd be to yes. start the season. Yes. And I don't know how some people do lose sight of that. And I have... I have like That some, is what I wanted you to hear. Sometimes... That is what I wanted you to say. Sometimes, you know, I, I will just in the heat of a game or having some fun, you know, 
lose sight of it myself briefly, but then I'll quickly get back to the fact that this is who we thought they'd be. Yep. You know, and, and next year, I think, is when it's okay to really start holding their feet to the fire. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I don't think it's unreasonable to expect Carolina to, to be near making the playoffs at the very least next year um, or to outright make the playoffs. It's an expanded field now. Yes, and, yes. you know, Brady's getting older. Breeze is getting older. I mean, that guy collapsed his lung. My God. Um, so, I mean, there, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for Carolina over the next two years to really set themselves apart in the NFC South if they get it right. But it starts with the draft and the offseason. So, you know, we'll see where they go. But I'm at a point now where I only have so many new things to say about this team on a week-to-week basis now because I, I talked about this on the show, and I don't know if you noticed this or not. They just came off an unprecedented stretch of playing six straight former league MVP quarterbacks or Super Bowl MVP quarterbacks. Six straight. First time it ever happened in NFL history. Uh, and it ended with Brady on Sunday. And then they also have statistically the toughest schedule in the NFC. So, you know, they're three and seven. That's not calamitous. That's not, you know, the worst thing that you could imagine. Unless, of course, you're a person who just worships tanking in sports and thinks the worst thing you could ever do is win a game if you're not going to win the Super Bowl. I don't understand that mindset, but there are people out there who feel that way. It is. It's idiots out there, Kyle. It's way more dumb people. I just don't get the, I don't get the tanking thing just because you're, you're incentivizing, you're celebrating losing. losing. And you know what I think it ties into, and this is probably a leap, and there will be some people who get mad at me about it, but like it's, I don't like it. it does, it's never been proven to work. And in some ways, it feels to me both like, A, cutting corners and you know, cheating. You, you, should need, you should be required to be good. You know, in order to benefit and not just, you know, incentivize sucking. But like it, it kind of takes me back to analytics a little bit too. Like, and that's, I know analytics guys, if they ever hear that, will shit themselves because I don't mean that they're the same. I just mean that it, in some ways there are ties there, you know, in ways to most efficiently go about executing a quote unquote process. And like analytics, ah, do we have time for this? I'll make it quick. Data analytics are important, man. Like data science, data analytics, that's the it's not just the future, it's here. And and it's yes, it it's changed the world over the past five to ten years so rapidly, like more rapidly than I think most people could have possibly theorized or understood back in 2005, if you know what I mean. I think there some people could have understood it, but it's just happened so rapidly. So, you know, if it's data science, data analytics, and we're talking about business and medicine and education and you know, military and environment. Like there's so many ways that data science is changing the world in a really, really positive way. I really hate analytics in sports sometimes because well, it makes it so one, boring and sterile and soulless. The like, World Series is the best example of somebody overanalyzing way too much. There's no way in the world Tampa should have pulled that pitcher. What was his name? Uh, Blake Snell. There's no way they should have pulled that guy. We gave up one hit. This guy was dealing out there in the World Series game six. And you lost the World Series because of your analytics. That cost them. Point blank period. I don't care what anybody says. If Tim Kirkson comes out there and loses his mind literally right after the game, he's not even talking about the Dodgers. He probably did just a little bit. But he can't get over the fact that analytics has ruined our game. He literally said that, Kyle, and he won't back off of it. And he came back the next day and doubled down on it. He doubled down on it and said, analytics has ruined our game. Who said this? Tim Kirchner. Tim Kirchner, thank you. So I'm glad you brought that up because you know what happened yesterday? I'm so glad we're going to end on this because it's a, it's like a triumphant crescendo. Oh, I, I got to say this too. My man Alvin Kamara for the Saints. Well, we can come flat back to out that. balling. Alvin Kamara's balling. Okay. Balling. But back to your point, Tim Kirchner, you know, I just can't do it anymore. I know what rant you're talking about. Yesterday, I don't know if you saw this, Theo Epstein, the president of baseball operations for the Cubs. Yep, he walked away. He stepped down. 
Um, you probably know, some people might not. He was the president of Baseball Ops and ran that show in Boston in 2004 when they yep. snapped the 86-year drought and won yep. the World Series. He then went to Chicago and snapped the other longest drought in baseball history and won the World Series with the Cubs in, 19, or in 2016. So he stepped away. I didn't know this, but I did some reading on it after some people pointed it out. He has said throughout his career he never intends to be a lifer anywhere. He's never going to stay in one place for too long, which I respect. And so he's stepping away for a year to go work on his foundation, to be with his family. He said there will be another chapter you know, to my baseball career. I'm just not sure where or when that will be. And uh, I want to read it verbatim because, Roman, it, it damn near made me cry when I read it last night. This is Theo Epstein, the, the architect of the current modern game of baseball, one of the very few, but I'd say the, maybe one of the leading. Yesterday, he told a reporter, quote, it is the greatest time in, or sorry, it is the greatest game in the world, but there are some threats to it because of the way the game is evolving. And I take some responsibility for that because the executives like me who have spent a lot of time using analytics and other measures to try to optimize individual and team performance have unwittingly had a negative impact on the aesthetic value of the game and the entertainment value of the game. Mm -hmm. I mean, clearly, you know, the strikeout rates a little bit out of control and we need to find a way to get more action in the game, get the ball in play more often, allow players to show their athleticism some more and give the fans more of what they want. End quote. I, I wanted to cry when I read that last night because if Theo Epstein sang it, people will listen and it means other people know it too, because I love baseball. I, it's my favorite. It was my favorite sport as a kid. It's my favorite sport to play. It always will be. But even I have to look at it and say, it's gotten boring. People, like, the home run's great. There's a lot of home runs being hit. A lot of balls flying out of the ballpark. That's it, though. That's it. If they're, not, if they're not hitting home runs, they're striking out, they're walking, or they're occasionally flying out, grounding out. That's it. But overwhelmingly, it's strikeouts, home runs, walks. That's so do you boring. say do you say that's because of the shift? No, it's or? because no, it's because of the the focus on launch angle. It's the mm -hmm. focus on uh, you know things like and, and to a lesser degree because this has always mattered kind of like exit velocity is something we focus a lot on now. But it's launch angle, it's exit velocity, it's you know teaching hitters that you know the, there's more m mathematical value in trying to hit the ball out of the park every time than there is. You know, bunting for a base hit when you've got a third baseman, you know, playing back off the bag or off the line or, you know, literally any number of things. And people that want to ban the shift instead of just telling somebody to take a fastball to the opposite field and make them pay for doing that and keep them honest so that they don't play you in a shift the next time. Like it's, this is, and I get it. Not everything stays the same. I'm 35 now, Roman. I'm old. Maybe people don't want to do it. But, like, he's saying it. And I, Theo Epstein is trying to save the game that I love and I want to hug him for it. Because I was, I've been waiting for somebody who knows baseball to say that, because I, I do still love it. It's still, still, it's still exciting in the postseason. But like, you know what? What was also exciting was watching Ricky Henderson steal a base every time he got on. Yeah. You know, was was watching hit and runs. You know, all the time, not just occasionally. Well, even in the World Series, Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts was stealing home. Mookie Betts was brought, like that's why I love he, Mookie Betts. He changed the game, and it wasn't even with his back. It was him running on the bases. In making everything go haywire outside, I love Mookie Betts. He was he was so impactful, and those are the things that to me made the game exciting. And you're right; I think baseball is boring at times because of what you're saying and the complaints that you're having. And I just didn't like that. You know, when you got a pitcher dealing, next you know, oh, can't pitch more than five innings. Oh, mm -mm. or you got these all of a sudden now they're like starting relief pitchers that only pitch the first two innings. Openers, yeah, I'm just like. Yeah. What do Openers you, what, and is that? what is that? I, and this is new age baseball. So people, when you're trying to bring in fans or you're trying to um, get people outside of your normal box or your normal viewership to come in, it's just really hard. My wife 
tuned in and she was watching the World Series with me and she was asking more and more questions and and I just felt bad because I didn't have the answer for it. And I'm just like, hey, I don't know what this is. I don't, I, it, it's, I don't know it's, what it is. Look, if you, if you want your three and four hitters, you want your cleanup hitter, your three-hole hitter, focus a bit more on launch angle, try to hit the ball out of the ballpark. That's fine, right? Sure. That's but, what they're supposed but, to do. But, but do we have to have the nine-hole hitter, you know, swinging the same way? Do we, do we have to have, you know, your eighth hitter? You know, can, can we just play some baseball, please? <laughs> I, I, I'm, and, again, I'm nostalgic for the way things were. But if guys like Epstein are saying that, then they are too. That means they are too. You know why Mookie, Bet- Mookie Betts is so much fun to watch? It's not because he hits the ball or out of the ballpark all the time. He does that too. Mookie is a five-tool baseball player. He can run. He's got a huge arm. He's a what five-time Gold Glove winner. He's obviously an MVP. Great base runner. He is a five-tool baseball player. That's what makes him fun, and that's why when Theo Epstein says something like, you know, letting them show their athleticism more, that's why we used to watch guys like Bo Jackson in center field for the Kansas City Royals and the Chicago White Sox. Yeah. Because Bo Jackson tracking down a deep fly ball to the alley and right or left center field was, was impressive. awesome. Yeah. And I'm not saying they, nobody does that anymore. They still do that. But, like, put that athleticism on display as often as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if you do more of that and just let the game keep a good pace, I, it'll be fun, man. So here's my final question off of that, Kyle, is this. So where's the happy medium at? Because three years ago, we were talking to him, complaining. Everybody was saying, oh, they don't let the guys play. They don't let them do this, right? They need to show more personality. Yeah. Bryce Harper, all these people were complaining about these things and about celebrating and what's correct with the whole, you know, unwritten rules of baseball, right? It's way too many unwritten rules for the average fan or the person that doesn't know them all. Or hasn't played. Yep. All right, so you got all these things. And then now you're saying, well, we want that, but then we also have these new age rules that are starting to come into effect too. So you have to be able to find a balance between the new age of analytics in baseball uh, where managers are not even managing the game. They're just managing the numbers and what the, what the, the analytics tell you to do versus having a feel or natural goal of the game. Like you're involved. The same thing I was giving Matt Rule credit for. Um, are we losing? Are we losing touch of that in baseball? I, I think. Well, I think they've lost track of some important things in baseball. I also try not to harp on that too much. Yeah. Because there's still more good about that game than there is. But like, I, I went to Dodger Stadium two years ago with my dad for his 60th birthday. I hope you had a Dodger hot dog too. I spent way too much money on Dodger. <laughs> okay, lots and lots of Dodger. <laughs> but to, like, you if you haven't experienced it in a while. We were there for the Dodgers-Giants series, which is the left coast version of Red Sox and Yankees. Oh, yes, it is. And so you factor that, the rivalry, you know, I think pro sports rivalries are in a different place now. But you you factor in what is left of that rivalry with the fans. And for me, you know, just not experiencing it as often as you do out there, the heavy uh, Latino population Mm -hmm. that is enormous Dodgers and Giants fans, Mm -hmm. and the way that place is already a party to begin, that is a blast when that place is the rocking parking lot, the parking lot oh my too. god we had so much fun <laughs> it was so much fun so you get to an atmosphere like that in baseball it's what you want it's not the same as basketball in a packed arena it's not the right. same as a, a roaring football arena you know or a roaring football stadium there's some similarities more toward the, the football side but it's a party you know in between mm-hmm, innings and mm-hmm. you know people are, are dancing and you know slamming beers between the innings and it's just you can't beat it so i i want to you you asked like a happy medium I try to find more and more happy mediums the older I get in things because I think more often than not, it's a great way to live, moderation mediums. In this way, I wish that they could, they could keep some things like the three-batter rule for relievers maybe, 
Um, maybe even regular. I would be open to regular season, you know, limiting the how far you could go into extras. But there are a lot of things I wish they would just undo and mm-hmm. go back to the way things were. Not for my own selfish reasons, but because the game was better that way. Yeah, it was better. There was more action. It was faster. You know, there was always something happening. Do you like the DH full time? Love it. That, that like needs that to stay. That needs to stay. I, I do like that too. I'm a National League guy, so I've always appreciated watching you know pitchers hit a little bit, but also the fact that National League managers had to do a little more work than American League <laughs> managers did, right? Yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah. you had to figure out the, not just defensive substitutions. But, but when, I'm, when I'm a full my pitcher, if he's not up this inning, man, exactly. I will let him go another inning versus, yeah. oh, he's got no, come on out. Or, you know, you get to a big spot in the game, you, you're behind, you're tied, you got a runner on, your pitcher spot's coming up, you got to make a tough decision to pitch right. hit for a guy who's really pitching well. Right. You know, that, that kind of stuff. So I liked, I do appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I do think, though, for the sake of the game and still continuing to not – Let's not forget that there are some things about baseball that do need to be modernized. People like offense. They like scoring. They do. So let's keep the DH in the National League. Not everybody. We don't need to see Clayton Kershaw hit any more often than we need to. As much, he's not even he's bad. He's not bad. He's not bad. He's one of the best pitchers. But pitchers you got. Even he's. But he's still not getting hits very often. So yeah, but it only only because it looks bad when you get the pitcher that's really bad that just gets up there and takes three straight strikes. They don't even they don't even try and fool it. They just throw it right down there and just blow it by him and then all right, come sit down. Definitely, definitely. So let me ask you this. Before. No, because I got one more too. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Has Tatis passed up? Is Tatis the best young player in baseball? Ooh. To me, I enjoy watching this I, I, guy play. I can't call it. Well, you'd have to qualify young. How old is he now? Uh, I don't think he's 26. I'm pulling it up right now. Let me double check. 21. Not even close to 26. Is he the best young player in baseball? Yes. Uh, no. Ronald Acuna Jr. is. Okay. Okay. I, I no. definitely love I, I would. I would go with I Ronald, love Ronald Acuna Jr. Although... Man, Tatis is a beast. Though. Oh no, I'm not. Yeah, he's he's in the conversation. He's in the conversation. To uh, me, he is fun to watch. Ronald Cunha Jr. is another player that is fun to watch because they hit the ball all over the park. Yeah, they hit it with power, and they don't go by like the baseball rules. That's what I like. Is that you know? Oh, they're not taking it on this one. They're not doing this. They're going out there and playing the game that they like to play, and they're doing it their way, and it looks fun. And that is what is more attractive to me as a, I wouldn't say avid fan, but just a fan of baseball, is that when guys are going out there and doing it for fun. And it looks like Bryce Harper has kind of been caged into this box of where, you know, he's got all these other things going on and everybody wants to, because once you get the money, it's almost like you have all this added pressure to be something when I just enjoyed you when you were just out there taking swings and having fun and being the highly recruited, highly touted player that you've always been your whole life. All right. So in the interest of time, because we've actually gone normal, longer than we normally do, which I love, analytics and football. Real quick take from you. A couple takes even. All right. So I, I want to bring this up for the obvious reasons because we're already talking about analytics. I have my thoughts on analytics and basketball. I think there are some – I think there's secondary statistics, a couple of them anyway, that you know, can be useful. Paint touches is interesting to me. You know, I do think analytics is basketball has driven it to – too much toward threes and threes. Mm-hmm. I don't love that. Yeah. Um, you and they I don't grew, even take mid-range. You, mid-range yeah, you, you and I grew up on the greatest era of mid-range jumpers in, <laughs> yeah. in the history of the game. But, yeah, I think so. So, uh, yes, you and I have a very, very strong affinity for that. Football, real quick. I know that you're not a PFF guy. I'm not a pro football focused guy myself. Football is both, I think, the best sport for the application, maybe, of analytics – uh, it's either that or baseball. Uh, I also think 
that it might, it's not the one that drives me the most crazy. I think there are more things though that are very arbitrary with football analytics than maybe in other sports. I guess what I'm getting at is there's some things that, you know, we're told that are just rock solid, you know, conventional wisdom now, but I feel like we can debate them a little bit. For instance, uh, last week in that Panthers and, and Buccaneers game, I'm not saying it was the wrong decision, but they were down, oh, what were they trailing by? Uh, they were down nine. Mm-hmm. Okay, they were down nine, I think, and they, they scored a touchdown and decided to go for two to cut the lead to one, uh, even though kicking the extra point would have still made it a one-possession game. Now, the and I even got some pushback from some people on this because I called it analytics, even though it is an analytics-driven decision because it's based on you know, decades of, of data, situational football, and they said, well, you know, it actually makes more sense to do that because, well, if you go for it and you get it, well, then, you know, all you need is a seven-point score the next time to tie it up. If you go for it and you don't get it, well, it's a two-possession game, but at least you know how many more possessions and how much time you have left so that you can manage the clock better and make better decisions. I'm like, yeah, but if you kick the extra point, it's a one-possession game. And, and even though – so, I, again, I get it. I understand there's a mathematical reason. You're looking at, you know, likely outcomes and, you know, what's always happened in the past. And, and I think you may even be able to defend the decision on Sunday by the Panthers to do it even more because they had a young defense that was maybe unlikely to get a stop. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think that one could be even more defensible. The problem is I don't think it's always completely defensible just because the analytics say to do so. Is yeah, that- and it's not even analytics as much as like they have a score chart that they all keep. Right. Like, it's, it's about likely outcomes. Right, right. right. They're like, okay, well, if I have this point, this amount, and they got this amount, we go for this. That's what they go off of. And I don't really like that. I... I always think you always want to try and cut it down to one possession, and then you have to play team football. So you you have to say, boom, you kick it off, and then, all right, defense, we're depending on you to hold them down, and then you punt it back, and then we're just supposed to get a field goal position to score. That's easy for me because I know the odds of you getting a two, converting a two-point conversion is so much harder and bigger than it is just to kick the extra point to make it a one-possession one score. Um, the only analytics I like in football really is – when you look at the numbers of, all right, well, they line up in this position and, you know, I formation on first and second down, they run the ball 80% of the time. So now I'm analytically saying, or the numbers say, I play run on these possessions or these downs. Other than that versus these formations. Other than that, I do not like all the analytics going into it because what did the coach say to you as soon as you come over there? He's like, coach, well, you said the numbers say I got to play this, blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, it was a tendency breaker and you got to be a player. You got to make that play. I'm like, well, you shouldn't have been telling me all week that this is what they like to do. So yeah, it, it, those are the things that's a constant fight and battle behind the scenes between players and coaches. That That's why coaches sometimes don't want to overload you with all these an- analytics and numbers because when the players start playing those numbers, then all of a sudden the, you know, the offenses, they scout themselves too. So they right. understand what their play calling a lot, especially when you self-scout. Uh, you learn to go against your tendencies, and then it becomes a tendency breaker. So who's got the best defense in the NFL? In your opinion, right now, not that's not like a test question, but if I say um, best defense, who? Uh, Indy, uh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Tampa, Pittsburgh. Okay, fine, Pittsburgh. you're right. Yeah, Pittsburgh. I'll, I'll go Pittsburgh. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I yelled that. So in that same situation, let's Indy's say really good too. They, they are good. Let, let's say that uh, you know Pittsburgh is in the Panthers' shoes on Sunday. They're down by nine uh-huh. with that defense. They're kicking an extra point. They're, they're going to they're gonna kick it deep and make you punt. Right. And so, again, I, I, I agree that the Panthers having a young defense that's injured and against that, you know, that probably makes an even stronger case for taking a risk. I, I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
Like you, if you have a good defense, like a good, de- you're kicking the extra point right. But there. then sometimes you just have to depend on your team to come through. Like it's, to to convert, you mean? No, to be able to get a stop. Correct. Like, that is part of the growing process. I, oh, I agree as with a that. Team. That's what I'm saying. You could make a case that because they're not a good defense, that maybe it was a better decision. But right. I agree with you. It seems to me like a learning moment. Like it teach. Like if this is truly an evaluation year, right. don't, I mean, and don't you want to give put them in a position? I don't know. I, yeah, I, but then yeah. as a as a coach, well, as a player, and I'm defensively, I'm sitting over the sidelines. We go for two, and then we don't get it, and I'm like, Coach, why'd you go for two? He's like, Oh, well. I didn't think the defense was going to get a stop. That's not a good answer. If we were having this conversation <laughs> with a uh, professional analytics folk, or good lord, a professional analytics person, I feel like the answer would be something along the lines of yes, but this number says this, you know, and and, and I, I mean that because I think it might be just. Uh, but the numbers don't are not in the game. Every game has its own personality, and that is what I argue the most when it comes to the analytics and just the numbers because. The numbers don't say what quarterback is playing. The numbers don't say what defense is playing. The numbers don't say um, that we've been so good on third down this game when we're normally pretty terrible or shitty on third down. It doesn't say that. So it's not always just uh, black and white when it comes to when you're playing the game. Every per- the personality of every game takes on a different thing. And you know, just because you're bad one week doesn't mean you can't be good the next week. And just because you're bad through four series in the game when it comes down to it, Next thing you know, you get just a little bit more pressure on the quarterback display. Just anything happens. And next thing you know, everything is just a little bit differently. But then teams play more confident when they know they have a little bit more of a lead or that you don't convert. Like, that could be momentum change when all of a sudden now your, deep, your offense scores and you don't finish off the drive with an extra point and you're feeling good about yourself. Instead, you get a failed conversion. Or sometimes when you do get the conversion, now you've got even more momentum going in. So now you're even more hyped up. So, to me, all that matters and plays into it. Sometimes I feel guilty for hating analytics in sports as much as I do. Sometimes I feel really guilty about it. You know why? Why? Because we all want to be smart. We all want to have information. We all want to have the edge. We all want to know why everything is being done all the time for the right reason. So, we can tell people sometimes how much that we know. Yeah, how smart we are. Exactly. So, for all the reasons that people like knowing things. I, I kind of feel bad sometimes in, in the way that I rail against analytics in sports because I don't want to come across as like a, a Neanderthal. It's not, I, I believe in data science and analytics in so many other ways, uh, and, I, and I readily acknowledge that. But there's just something about not wanting to do math while I'm playing sports or watching sports. I, I don't know what it is. And I, there are people out there who would probably accuse me of dumbing it down too much or whatever. I don't know. I just, I don't find it interesting. I don't find it to be a remotely compelling part of sports. I I know it's there. I know that I have to talk about it sometimes. I understand it conceptually and I get why most decisions are made, even if I have to get it after the fact, but it doesn't change the fact that I just have always seen sports as a place where you let the athleticism decide it and not just the athleticism, but you know, cleverness and cunning and, st- and strategy and game planning. And I'm sure that, you know, the analytics folks that would hear that would say, well, the analytics are part of the strategy, part of the, I get it. I understand it. I don't, I just don't think we're ever going to connect in that way. I don't think we're ever going to fully connect and use it in ways that make sense. Go for it. But you know, if I never hear about VORP again in baseball, um, you know, or <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but yes, I, yeah, I, I've, I've seen it. Yeah. I just, I don't care about that. What I want to do is watch athletically gifted, ultra competitive people go as hard as they can go at each other. And they're the best at, what and they're they the do. best at what they do. 
And, and don't take that from them. And, and whoever is the best at that, that's what I want to find out. It's the reason. I, some people just don't connect with me on this. I've watched Tiger Woods. I love watching Tiger Woods. Not because I think Tiger's the coolest guy in the world or because Tiger's my role model. It's because he's the, the greatest golfer I've ever seen in my life. And watching, and he's not that anymore, but when he was in his prime, when he was at his, the height of his powers, I've, none of us have ever seen anything like that. I like Tom Brady. Not because I think Tom is a swell dude, but because Tom is the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. And I love the fact that he he's terrified of the day that he can't play football anymore. I, agree. I, I loved watching Kobe Bryant because he would just as soon kill you as lose to you. Yeah. And, and that's why I loved him. Same reason I love Michael Jordan. Um, you know, and, and still think MJ, despite how much you and I both love Kobe, is I think MJ is the greatest player I've ever seen. And, and Kobe's the closest thing we will ever see to Michael Jordan. So, I, I don't know. I just hate math. It's okay, Kyle. I just hate I math. I hate math too, bro. And I'm not even bad at it. I'm decent at math. I just don't, I, I don't like I sports hated math, math once they start putting letters in it. Like, I was good with math until they start putting letters in it. And I right. was like, dude, you're kind of losing it. Algebra tripped you up, huh? Ugh. Start losing. There's no need for it. We got we to gotta wrap this up. We just went super long, and I love that we did My this. bad, dude. No, we're good. It's a great conversation. I'm going to go take little Roman, get him a haircut. He's all about – he's getting a mohawk. I'm so. going to go watch this NBA draft. I will put it in stone. I will etch it in time. Jamie. Good luck today, man. All of our listeners, man, give Kyle some love, positive vibes, man. Appreciate that. So my, my pick tonight, James Wiseman. That's where I think they go. We'll see if we're uh, – if I'm right about that, we'll find out next time. Until then, for Roman Harper, I'm Kyle Bailey. We'll see you next time we decide to get together.